Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for staying, thanks for tuning in, thanks for downloading, thanks for subscribing. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas today, a brand new brand, a brand new brand. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. A brand new brand uh, that you guys are going to love. It's new to me, at least, but some of you may know about it. Ryan Snacks, their founder and CEO, Matt Weiss, is on. I can't even wait for you to meet him and learn about these products. I am so excited. Matt, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Justin. It is awesome to be with you this morning. I am so glad you're here. We're doing a Friday morning interview. A fellow ACC guy, he went to Duke. Of course, I went to Georgia Tech. Um, and not that that has anything to do with the podcast, but it's kind of cool. Um, and I am so excited to dive into the, your brand. I, I, I loved learning about the product. Um, Matt, it's, it's going to be really great. And I, before we even get there, I always love to start with our guests to talk a little bit about their background and what you were doing before launching this company a couple years ago. So why don't you share that with us? Great. Well, you know, everything has felt like it's led to, you know, this entrepreneurial journey into the fruit snack world. Um, but it took a very unconventional path to get here. Uh, but I think at heart, many, many folks can probably relate to this. You know, I love, I, I love discovery of new snack brands. It's kind of like going into the grocery aisles as a kid and um, trying to see what I could sneak into the shopping cart without my folks noticing. Uh, that was fun. I love that. And, you know, like I, I remember a time when like marshmallow fluff was like a thing. Like you could actually convince your parents to put marshmallow spread on totally. two, two slices totally. of bread and call it a sandwich. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, so absolutely fell in love with, you know, snacking and, you know, new, new discovery of brands that was always in the background. And then uh, when I went to Duke, uh, you know, I, traditional liberal arts background i actually majored in spanish right i'm like wait spanish and political science right government i'm like what how does this tie into a food brand i'm of the mind that you know college is the time for just complete exploration (laughs) you know you know (laughs) one should should have their life figured out at you know 18 to 21 they should be you know open to every good idea and so um whatever i i Grew up in South Florida. I had I was around a lot of Latin American culture. Spanish was something I wanted to develop as a skill, and uh, not to mention just I fell in love with like Spanish literature and trips to Spain. Anyways, a lot of good stuff, and um, but not really focused on entrepreneurship. But I was always tinkering in the background, and. I just didn't want to sleepwalk my way into a career or into a grad school. I wanted to do what I loved. And I felt, you know, yes, I needed a job. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I think I couldn't just like wake up and try to do different things every day. Um, but I felt like I didn't I didn't have parents who put the pressure on me to have it all figured out by graduation. That's wonderful. Well, and what a, that's a cool situation to be in, you know. Um, and so shifting over to the new business, uh, and interesting, for those that don't know the snack market, which is, I mean, we've talked a lot about it on this podcast. We have a lot of guests on in this space. This is the fruit snack market. And uh, it was really cool research. I saw that you had pulled, um, Matt, that this market, 
So just guys, think about this. So valued at $4.7 billion, this is back in 2018, so two years ago or so, uh, and projected to grow 8% a year. I would, it, I would even say uh, that probably accelerated over the last year or two. I'll ask you about that in a minute. But wow, what a, a great place to be focused um, within this, in the food business. So how did you decide, hey, I'm going to start a, a food brand and, and why in the, the fruit snack place? It's amazing, right? It's kind of a big number, but it's quietly big. And I think not a lot of people are aware of the size of this category. And I think one of the main reasons and opportunities we saw the potential for a brand to shake up the sleepy dried fruit set is because the vast majority of the category is private label. There isn't a lot of brand loyalty or affinity. If I ask somebody, what's your favorite dried mango brand? They, they sort of say, know. well, <laughs> the kind I see at the, the store. Yeah. <laughs> And if that's not there, I'll get, you know, this one. It's like dried mango is quite delicious and they're all kind of roughly the same. By the way, we don't do a dried mango for that reason. It's kind of become a commodity. But what was the aha moment was that there just had not been a lot of innovation in this massive category that was largely store brand and still the usual suspects of raisins, prunes, apricots, Really, it was one of the saddest aisles of the grocery store. <laughs> Did you, and, like, uh, literally, were you, like, walking through and find, you know, I think these are potential categories, and then I narrowed into this one, or, like, how did like, how did you narrow yeah, into this? You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't, like, it was much more serendipitous. I wasn't at looking to identify white space and sure. exploiting this. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I should have mentioned, also, you know, I was in finance at the time, and I did, yeah. after graduation, find my footing in an amazing mutual fund that was focused on growth companies um, in food and beverage. So that was, you know, obviously got my feet wet and wanting to learn more. I spent 20 years there. It was unbelievable. But it, wow. I was having a, an amazing time, went by in a blink. But all the while, I was always, you know, keeping a notepad full of my own ideas. And Fruit Snacks was just one of many. Um, what I would say was, you know, what all brands really need to break through the clutter and the noise today is you have to be different. You cannot, even if you have beautiful packaging, if you're just repackaging someone else's product and you don't have a unique take that's participating in a big secular trend, you're just going to get lost in a sea of sameness. Totally. And totally agree. What was missing from this was two things, uh, innovation, uh, and, a value proposition around function. Dried fruit, you know, it was an afterthought that you'd get a lot of benefits from eating it. And if anything, people were saying, well, you're just concentrating the fruit sugars when you remove the water. And is that as good for you as the real thing or whatever? And what was missing in many cases was the rind that was being stripped away. Interesting. And that is the most important part because that is where the fiber is to the highest degree. Wow. And when you remove the fiber rich peel and you do get the sugars, natural fruit sugars, it your body doesn't absorb them as um, slowly to release sort of long lasting energy that you, you need. Fiber is really becoming as important as protein has been over the last five to 10 years. So fiber uniquely concentrated in the rind of the fruit was sort of, that's the best part. 
that was the idea. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So you narrowed into this space. Um, you started learning more. You'd worked in the sector. So you had some of that kind of market research, I'll call it a market understanding. Um, you hadn't made a product before. So what were the first steps to going from, I think this is a category, the numbers are there, you know, I see a gap. Like, how did you go from that to actually creating something like taking fruit and creating yeah. something? <laughs> um, Look, I love learning and I studied as much as I could about what was out there in the market, what wasn't there, what I was looking for as a consumer and a lot of sort of finger in the air instincts. It wasn't <laughs> wasn't deep analytical work per se. It was kind of following uh, my instincts. And what I did do was purchase a lot of dehydrating equipment that you could buy on Amazon. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, that my wife allowed me to tinker with on the weekends and not blow right. up the apartment. Um, and, you know, really just started experimenting with some unusual fruits that weren't really found in the category like melon. Uh, you know, everyone, it's hard to find somebody who doesn't have a great experience with say watermelon. Right. Unless they're allergic. <laughs> right. And so it's just very like, ah, it's just it's, it can't it's symbolic wrong. of like a summer barbecue. It's like, right. okay, watermelon's amazing. So why can't we find dried watermelon as like a snack or watermelon jerky? It doesn't really exist, but we have like no shortage of like, you know, apple chips and, and mango, but hook me up with some watermelon and some <laughs> kiwi and some persimmon and some orange that I can also put on the rim of a Negroni or an old fashioned. Oh like, yeah. Definitely. I wanted to make a snack of a category that wasn't the, the dried fruit had become like little kid snacks or grandparent snacks. And oh, I was like, let's make yeah. dried fruit cool. Let's make it cool for a younger audience. I love it. I think that's really, really cool. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So you, you're excited about that and you start experimenting with some of the equipment. When did it go from experimentation at home with some you know, used equipment from Amazon to something in a bag with packaging and like saleable? Like, yeah. Talk about that process. Yeah, I mean, it happened when I did actually blow the power to the building. Um, <laughs> Seriously, like that's really yeah, happened. These, these oh machines, my god! These machines. The first machine was in a was like a really powerful dehydrator. I didn't mess around, and it wasn't commercial <laughs> grade, but it probably wasn't right for a New York City apartment either. <laughs> and um, nice. it was called it was called Le Keep by Excalibur. I just had like this really amazing like King Arthur kind of name. <laughs> it's like nice. dehydrate oh the crap out of things, and. Um, so anyways, small, you know, small co-op building in New York, super old building, power wasn't up to stuff, <laughs> was running 24 hours. Lesson learned, that was time to find a co-packer that could actually do this and yeah. do a commercial run. Sure. And that was really just, you know, asking a million questions, going to some trade shows, inserting myself into this ecosystem as if I knew what I was doing, but nobody does. And right. just taking a risk, like so many uh, entrepreneurs, I would venture to guess, get stuck at the idea phase. Yep, and no it feels too daunting to take the next step, the however small, yeah, the leap. And it's like, so anyways, when in reality, you take one of those small steps and you learn what it means to get a barcode and how to do that. You learn what it takes to get nutritional you know, nutritional testing done so you can get a NFP, a nutritional yeah, facts panel. No doubt. You call some manufacturers. Like it is a puzzle and it can be, it can be um, figured out with a lot of perseverance. And I just was, 
I'm the type of mind where when I get focused on something, man, I get like obsessed. <laughs> I love so, it. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, very, very cool. So uh, you, you, you do the homework to find the co-packer. Like you said, it takes time, it takes time and it takes like investment to figure things out. Right. And, um, when you went with the co-packer, did you already have a market for the product yet? Or were you kind of taking nope. the, the, the risk <laughs> of jumping in with, you know what I mean? Like, how did that look yes. like? Uh, messy, um, but fun. And, and it was the best. Like I, I didn't have demand waiting for me on the other side. I had, like a hundred cases of product and I had to put a, <laughs> find in, someone to buy to them. <laughs> oh yeah. Unless they would just yeah, like piss off my family in my apartment. And right. so it was, I was fully exposed and was like, okay, let's go time to sell. But that first production run was exhilarating, right? you kind of see a, you know, an idea come to life off of the manufacturing line. And what we, what was what I took the time to really work with a, you know, a great group of designers on awesome packaging that would allow us kind of out of the gates to look like we'd been a million dollar brand and shelf ready when we were an idea. Um, Got it. I think I've had the mentality with Rind from day one, do everything we can through smarts and research and great people partnerships to punch above our weight. I mean, otherwise, what's, you know, I don't think anyone aspires to be like, I'm going to go for the most amateurish thing. <laughs> right. I can. That's not the way it works. <laughs> it's like, go big. So anyways, no doubt. product comes off the line. I got a minimum run, you know, okay. negotiated with the co-packer. One flavor or cake. more than one flavor? Uh, three what about, skews. Okay. Three skews. Three skews. Yep. You know, I sort of had enough understanding that to really project as a brand with some depth, you did need to have about three skews. That's the right. magic number. Right you know, maybe one flavor profile that's a little sweeter. Um, you know, we did that with a, with a blend that had uh, peach, persimmon, and apple, and then one that was tangy, which was kiwi, pineapple, and orange, and then one that was just super polarizing and controversial, which was all kiwi, which people were like, man. <laughs> Why was hate. that polarizing and controversial? <laughs> oh, that's good. You gotta be... You gotta, you gotta have a little people. bit of that? Okay. You gotta piss people off. Back to that, like, if you're not zigging while others are zagging you're just right. not going to get noticed and there'd be so no funny. buzz there'd be so no excitement funny. i don't mind you know i don't need to be mainstream right away if you are how are you ever going to get noticed um right. <laughs> no doubt. And, anyways got three skews out 100 cases delivered on a pallet less than truckload to my apartment uh, that was another saga <laughs> i was gonna doorman. say the pallet guy was like we don't deliver pallets to apartment oh. buildings <laughs> Oh my God. They were like, what the hell is this? I have lived that. We had that happen. We have a, a small little side business and, you know, we ordered inventory, right? And this massive truck shows up at our, and the guy's like, we don't, like, we, where's the loading dock? It's like, oh no, there's no, <laughs> what's that? It's a house. Like, anyway, let alone an apartment. You know what I mean? Like, people yeah, don't think about the this. Garage. <laughs> yeah, the garage. Look, I think. <laughs> every first time entrepreneur, even maybe second, third time entrepreneur, you kind of just, move a little fast and loose. Right. And that can, that's okay. You don't take shortcuts, but you sort of just take risks. And those are the companies that shake things up, right? You no don't doubt. have a preconceived notion of having to do it a certain way <laughs> right. because you're an outsider. I was not you a are. food entrepreneur. Right. While I studied it with an investor hat, I still didn't know what it meant to operate a business, but Every brand starts at zero. Coke started at zero. Totally. You jump in. That's right. So, okay. So you got inventory, three SKUs. You're, now, did it all 
taste good at first or was there any tweaking that had to be made? You know, the first <laughs> couple runs, I'm sure, weren't uh, perfect. Subjective. Um, some of the run, you know, again, we were doing this hand-packed in the beginning. Fruit can be, depending on the fruit, different moisture levels. You know, some can stick together more than others. So I do remember we had a couple, again, back when I started to populate some local stores and friends and family, then we got it onboarded to an Amazon, you know, fulfillment yep. network. Some of the reviews were coming back and it was like, love this, uh, but it doesn't have any peach in it. And it was like a three ingredient blend, uh, one of which was peach. Oh, and I was like, that's oh, not God. good. Like, <laughs> no peach. No, there were those issues where like uh, somewhere along the line, right. it was missing an ingredient. <laughs> like that's totally. no good. Oh my God. So if someone's like, you know, if you're selling a strawberry blend and it's missing the strawberries, that's like a chocolate chip cookies missing the chocolate chips. So, <laughs> totally. So look, there were some hilarious things like that, but the product was really exceptional uh, and different. And I had worked with, you know, we talked about the co-packer, but I had also really spent a lot of time finding and identifying great uh, small family farms and growers in the Central Valley of California, which is the fruit salad bowl of the country, where I was able to source spectacular fruit, right? I wasn't flying it in from, you know, far-flung countries. It was California-grown, bright, beautiful, harvested that season, processed and dried to my spec, keeping the rind on and using really cool fruits, Justin, like right. persimmon. Not a lot of people know what persimmon is. And to me, it's one of those kind of the best fruit no one's ever heard of. It's kind of cool though. You know what I mean? Like you said, being unique and yeah. different now, but do you have to, do you have to sell the consumer on that or are they willing to try do you know what i mean like it's one thing yeah. like i'll give you a different example potato chips right i know what barbecue and sour cream and onion are going to take like i i you know because i've lived it but with these flavors are people willing to experiment what have you found yeah look i think uh what we had going for us and still do is a very strong easy to understand brand name and value prop our value prop kind of is our brand right, right? it's, it's kind of cool right that's what makes it unique. <laughs> it's, exactly. Our That's tagline cool. is keep it real, eat the peel. You know, everything is there. Nice rhyme, man. I love name. the rhyme. You know, if someone says, uh, if someone picks up a product not to knock on keto, and I understand its appeal, um, but if you ask 10 different people what how they define keto, you might get 10 different answers, right? right. And it's these ingredients, these sugars that aren't absorbed by the, you know, it's any keto cookie could have 50 ingredients on the back versus ours will just have one ingredient, the fruit. So it's fruit with benefits because we keep the peel on, it maximizes nutrition and minimizes food waste. Done. Got it. I love that. That's really cool. And what a great value prop. And I do like that you've linked it to the name. We're very, very crafty. Um, what about retail? Like when, when did you find your first success? When did it go from, this is a cool hobby. You know, I bought the equipment now I'm co-packing. I got three SKUs. I got boxes. Nobody's buying them yet, but I got boxes of cool product. <laughs> like when did it go from that to, Hey, I'm in a store or I'm, I'm or people are buying it direct to consumer. What'd yeah. that look like? It was a little company called whole foods. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> where I had, uh, Honestly, it was it was the trade show circuit that was the most exciting, exhilarating. I'm so glad food shows are starting to come back again. Totally, I'm sure totally. the event business in general. It is, but yeah. for a while, you know, our industry. You're probably familiar. You know, 
there's two big shows. One is there's, there's more than two, but the two yeah. biggest are Expo East and Expo West. Totally. You know, lovingly called the Super Bowl of snacks. And yeah. um, we were debuting. And then the other one here in New York is the Fancy Food Show. And it was the summer Fancy Food Show of 2018 where I met and I guess attracted the attention of the Whole Foods buyer. And I don't think they appreciated I was doing this on the side and and running back to my day job while manning my booth and like but, that's when I mean that's when things got real. Yeah, when you were making it work though, you know what I mean? At, <laughs> at that point, right? I mean, it wasn't the, yeah. the full time thing. No, it, scrappy, true side hustle. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like sneaking out the back door, but it was whatever it took, and. um it was exciting. Honestly, that was, totally. that's, I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs can identify with that kind of initial rush of wearing every hat, doing whatever it takes to get something off the ground, and seeing if you got that traction. Yep. And when the Whole Foods buyer took us in, again, it wasn't like we were going into 500 stores. We went into 12 stores, but they were across the country. It was really wild. There was a chain at the time of, or a division of Whole Foods called 365, um, which is also the name of their private label offering, but there were stores that were the 365 by Whole Foods. In fact, there was one down in, there were two in, in Atlanta, I want to say, one in Buckhead and one in Decatur. In any event, yeah, that's where we went. So all of a sudden there was rind on the shelf in Akron, Ohio and in Atlanta Perfect. and in LA. And I love in, that. And, and so we were getting like store by store orders and boy, that made it real. And I wanted more and I wanted to just build it big after that. That's really cool. And I was going to say, you got a little taste of like a volume. You know what I mean? What people are yeah. buying. Your, it's not just getting on the shelf, but then people are buying. So that was my next question is, okay, good that you got in store. As we all talk about on the show is like, it's good that you're on the shelf, but if no one's buying it, it's not going to last very long. Um, but so how did you drive sell through or was it natural that people were, were sampling your product and then like buying and you were seeing the sell? No, what did that look it's like? It's hard. I love that question because I think a lot of people get seduced by <laughs> it's first... on the shelf. Yes. Like, yes. Well, that... you know, they're taking shelfies or whatever. Right. Yes. No, I think selfies. the first, the first <laughs> PO, right. You get the purchase right. order and you think, you think You've like, okay, it. check, we made it. That's you haven't made anything, man. You know, you're going to, you're going to get paid in like net 60. And now you have to get it. If you want to reorder, you got to get that moving totally. and sell through is not, obsessed about enough, I think, by entrepreneurs in our space, but it is the KPI. It is the it metric is. by which we are measured. Velocity is everything. And so it it's just, if you've got something special, it will sh the, the data won't lie. It will show up in repeat orders. It will show up in week over week, in, you know, acceleration, and it will show in getting more shelf space, all that good stuff. And you have to spark the fire, you know, no and doubt. that requires demos, sampling, social media, shopper marketing, geo-targeting. I mean, the world was moving this way pre-COVID, but now if you're not attacking your product on shelf with intensity, you're not, you're going to collect dust. And we pride ourselves on having some of the best velocities in this sleepy category because we are maniacally focused on movement through register and sell through almost as much as selling. Got it. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Um, and I, I do love that. So you, you get Whole Foods. Um, I was, again, in doing my homework on you, I saw that in 2020, your revenue grew 
5x over 2019. Unbelievable. Um, And you're expected more than triple sales this year. So what's driving that? How are you getting access? And and is it other retail or what does that look like? You know, it's, it's just every day there's, we see opportunity everywhere and it does feel like we're just getting started. What I would say is uh, COVID as painful as it was for so many and how much empathy we have for consumer packaged brands and you alluded to this at the beginning, pantry items were very much in demand uh, and, you know, starting in March 2020 over the last year and a half where, no, you know, no. the initial, the initial it was beyond pantry, pantry load, load, right? No one <laughs> wanted to go to the grocery store every right. week um, and understandably. And as a result, you know, we were being scooped off the shelf as a shelf stable, long shelf life product, along with Purell and, and toilet paper. And it was like those, the essentials were like, okay, snacks that I can keep, right. some baking. And so, and toilet we, paper, you know, a little bit. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> so, so we were in good shape and we saw some really exciting trends, but where we saw massive acceleration and uptake was in these new alternative channels of, grocery subscription box. These are interesting. Okay. You know, boxes of product. There's a bunch of them you might be familiar with or the brands that you've had on may have discussed. Yep. One is like Imperfect Foods, yep. Hungry Root, Misfits Market, Thrive Market, Fresh Direct. Right. You know, the back of a UPS truck these days is no longer just Amazon boxes. It's all these it's curated all this food delivery. Yeah. Food delivery, including perishable or yes. meal kits. And it's totally really exciting. It is. It is. It's really so. The grocery store is being brought in a more curated fashion to consumers' homes, and younger and younger consumers who have embraced ordering these regular consumables via app are perfect for our brand. And so we've seen tremendous uh, growth with these new omni-channel partners. In addition to retail, at this point we're in about 3,500 doors from those early days of 12 Whole Foods to 3,500, including 2,000 CVS stores, which just launched last month. Um, we're in you know, many chains in the East, like Wegmans, the Fresh Market, just launched totally. in the Midwest with Meyer, Rayleigh's Fresh Time. It's just beginning. <laughs> I love that. It is your early your early days, but you've got some great ramp in front of you. Um, what about managing that volume? Let's again back to the co-packer example. You know, what, uh, small batch runs. Now you've got larger runs, uh, larger POs, uh, distribution uh, across North America. Like, how have you solved for that? It's like I gotta believe it's true of every business. Although I've only really run this one. Uh, you got to be surrounding yourself with the best people, the best partners, people you can trust and who are aligned with your growth. And I think we've been very fortunate to have worked with and selected some early partners where in many cases, they're multi-generational family businesses. They are selective in who the, who they work with as well. And it wasn't like I picked up the phone and said, and never met them. I took the time, flew out, many times met with them, you know, uh, went to dinner with them and said, this is my vision. Do you have capacity to grow with me if we go here? And they, I guess they took a chance on me and I took a chance on them. We've actually been able to grow with the original partners. We've expanded many uh, along the way, but we've become through growth, some of the, you know, one of the most important customers for these partners. And so we are aligned. (laughs) 
in a very exciting way where the better we do, the better they do. Of course. And so as a course. result, it's just, it comes down to people, uh, growth. The biggest part of growth, I think is talent, uh, our own internal team, which I didn't have an appreciation of because I was doing everything myself for the first couple of years. And it's, you can't, I needed to change my leadership style to, to empower and delegate. And we now have a team very small still of only five FTEs, but very quickly I could see that going to 10 or 20 over the next two years and still young and scrappy, but the, the rock stars we have been able to onboard, um, <laughs> has just been amazing and allowed us so to cool. take this to new heights. And so I read a statistic that like founders should focus 30 to 50% of their time on cultivating talent, both mentoring, training, and recruiting. And it's a, like half your time is like, you really have to invest in the people that will allow you to build a big business. I believe it totally. now. I see it. Totally agree. It's a, that's a great, great data point. Um, Man, this is so cool. I'm I'm so, really super excited for you. I, I love to ask our guests uh, what would be two or three of their biggest pieces of advice or lessons learned for the other entrepreneurs that are listening. And and um, I'd like to throw that question to you and hear what your advice would be. I, we've got a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to our podcast and those that have thought about being an entrepreneur. So uh, what would that look like for you? Yeah, I think... Um... There's one, there's never been a better time to take a risk. You know, I think side hustles have gone from something that was kind of looked down upon or whatever as like, oh, you're you are sneaking out the back door on company <laughs> right. time or whatever, to now being like, wait, you, you don't have like, you know, three ideas you're incubating and you don't have like a storefront and um, you're not launching a podcast. <laughs> right. Seriously. All that good stuff. You know, yeah. People should be putting themselves out there more, not be afraid. Life is short, man. Life is short. I mean, and exactly. no regrets. And I didn't want, exactly. I didn't want, and I, I would think a lot of, uh, you know, people are wired differently. Some people are uh, stay at one firm forever and, and that works for them. But for me, I had to scratch the itch and I would just say, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Take that first step. Even if it seems small, it will open the next door. It will force you if you're earnest to learn how to do the next thing and the next thing that will you know, get you on your way. I'd also say, you know, it's, there's no, there's no overnight success. Like I, I feel like there are a lot of probably younger generation who are seeing the big bold headlines of companies raising ridiculous rounds, taking their company public all within the last five years, whatever it's all bullshit, right? I think the re the, rea <laughs> the reality is underneath what they're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. And I I'm a firm believer in the 10 year rule, which like it really does take a decade's worth of intense focus. You know, and Malcolm Gladwell talks about the yeah. 10,000 hour rule, right? You know, there's so much that went in to that overnight success story, 10 years in the making or 20 years in the making. Totally. And so play the long game. Don't expect to, have a product that on shelf will be catching lightning in a bottle. Maybe it will and God bless, but expect a lot of setbacks. And if you're oriented toward, this is a, this is a journey. It's going to be grueling. I'm going to be punched in the face 50 times before we get a, a retailer to say yes. You got to have your expectations, right? 
And if you're willing to commit and play the long game, you got a chance. Totally. Man, I love that. That's such great advice. So great having you on our show, Matt, and excited for you. We got to have you back on down the road. You're just early days, but tons of runway and, and growth stretch in front of you. Um, share with our audience where they can find you, connect with you, buy your product, et cetera. Wonderful. Uh, it's been a pleasure being on your show, Justin. Thanks again. Uh, you can learn all about Rhine and the power of the peel uh, on our website. It's about as easy as it gets, people. It's <laughs> Rhine.com. So easy. How did you um, get that? <laughs> don't, don't go to ring.com. You'll get a virtual doorbell. But right. If you go to Rhine.com, we'll hook you up with some fruit snacks. You can also find us you know, in thousands of stores, now CVS, uh, maybe a Whole Foods near you, Amazon, you name it. And yeah. um, we'll take good care of you. I love it, man. Peel power. I love that on your website. Hey, Matt, so great having you on. Look forward to having you back on the road. Uh, have a great day. Great to have you. Thank you. See you. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.